Yo. Hey, man. What's going on? Are you peeing? I am. Oh, Christ. <laughs> God damn it, really? Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. How are you? Well, I feel a lot better now that I just peed in that vase. Peeing in the vase like I'm a fucking boss. <sighs> That's a new song that I'm recording currently while we're doing this episode. How many times have you peed in a receptacle in a van on the t- on on the road? I kept things pretty tight and right in van touring. I never really had to do that. I can hold my pee for quite a long time, and I and I knew if it was going to be a long ride, I wasn't. I wasn't doing a lot of drinking of liquids, so I don't. I, I don't think I ever did that more than maybe one or two times, like the old Gatorade bottle trick. Dude, our old drummer when I was in Joe Rocket. Now this was in Joe Rocket broke up in '93, so this was '89 to '93. I mean, we would do these drives. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't stop for like eight hours, right? And w- there was no place to pee, so you just kind of had to pee in a Gatorade bottle. And this this guy Pat would fill up an entire 32 ounce Gatorade on one pee. It was, cr- I've never seen anything like it. I don't know the math on that, but I thought the bladder could only hold like four cups of liquid. That sounds like a lot of urine. Yeah, dude. It was weird. I like thinking about volumes of urine. I like, I just like that as a thought experiment. I like that you put the image <laughs> in my head and now I can see it and uh, maybe even right. smell it a little bit. This is also the second episode in a row that we've sort of, you know, camped out and meditated on urine. <laughs> this is the most urine we've had in our podcast. <laughs> we're doing ever. we're doing a lot of urine talk. <laughs> Why is that, I wonder? I do this really weird thing and my wife always makes fun of me for it where when I'm peeing, I try to time the flushing of the toilet with the end of the pee so that as the last little bit of toilet water shoots down all my last little bit of pee goes with it it's just sort of like a game i've been playing my whole life it's amazing how often i don't <laughs> i don't land that and have to flush the toilet again because i'm i've been peeing i'm still peeing after that you ever done anything like that uh created your own little bathroom olympics uh, i don't think so can i ask you something though maybe next time you're peeing maybe give that a shot and let me know how <laughs> it goes here's here's the only bathroom olympics idea and this is where it's going to get real fucked up okay. is occasionally i have to do a number two real bad like real bad <laughs> so sometimes i'll do the thing where i'm taking my pants down but i feel like at the same time the number two is starting to come out so i just gotta slam my butt down on the toilet before anything happens now i've never had a i've never had a problem where it's come out before but i feel like i've had a couple close calls. i gotta imagine that when that's happening there's something coming out of your mouth like ah there's some kind of like no no i'm you're not doing that silently there's no way no i'm calm on the outside dude if you looked at my face <laughs> if you just had a camera on my face when that was going on you'd be like oh this guy's like deep in meditation like i don't show emotion like stuff is happening inside of me crazy thoughts crazy uh stuff and on the outside it just looks like yeah i'm not even thinking about anything it's weird i just find it hard to believe that you're not going oh no oh no oh no or shoot 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 but no, dude, i believe I'm, you I'm, I'm like i'm like a, i'm like james bond and shit right with that, right 
with with er- with everything. You're like uh, Tom Cruise is being lowered into that room with all the sensors, remember? And he catches his own little bead yeah. of sweat. That's you when you're about to shit your pants. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> Except I don't even have the bead of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> if I could somehow get into that moment with you and take your heart rate while that's happening, you're just c- cool as a cucumber. 86, dude. 86. Wow. I don't even know if that's a that I feel like that's a, a low resting heart. What are the things you do on the toilet? Uh I always without fail I bring my iPad and I'm just doing stuff. I'm usually playing solitaire on my iPad. Remember we didn't have all these gadgets? Remember pooping back then? Pooping before smartphones? Well, I will say this. So next to my bathroom I have all of these I have a bunch of poetry books. So occasionally I won't go in there with my iPad and then when that happens then I'm reading whatever poetry books i have the buttress of windsor no i'm i'm reading like richard brodigan or Mm, i love this william blake no dude i don't read bullshit poetry i read like really funny shit t.s Eliot's the wasteland no pun intended have you ever read richard brodigan no dude he's amazing i haven't been reading poetry and i haven't read poetry in a while i'll I'll read you some uh, richard brodigan here oh really that's what is that what this episode is going to be you reading me poetry well it's like great poetry though all right well while you're dialing that up let's hear from an email real quick you can write in bob and clint at gmail.com we read all these on the show monday hendrickson writes in the patron by the way hey guys i'm loving having two episodes per week of course but if you decide to go back to one per week if you were just to sprinkle an extra surprise episode in here and there, that would be fantastic. In fact, with so many things being so predictable, that would be pretty fucking cool, yo. Or when things are unpredictable, it's usually in a bad way, gestures of the outside world, you know what I mean? So that's another vote for the two a week. So, I mean, I guess maybe we'll keep that up for a minute. See how it goes. Yeah. All right, if you, if you dialed this poem up for me. Yeah, okay, here's, here's one of his poems. The pill versus the Spring Hill mind disaster. When you take your pill, it's like a mind disaster. I think of all the people lost inside of you. That's one of his poems. Short and sweet. Check this one out. It's called The Shen The Shenver Takes Sure Watch Off. The Shenay. Is this oh, the poem? The, <laughs> the title is She Never Takes Her Watch Off Poem, but it's all one word. The She Never Takes Her Watch Off Poem by Richard Brodigan for Marsha. That's the poem. Oh, well, that's not good. No, it's great. I mean, it's. It's like performance art. That's like concept art. So it's far, yeah, far out in that way. I get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that shit, but... Yeah, this guy was like a product of the 60s, dude. Right, that's what it is. Yeah, it sounds very psychedelic-ish. Yeah, so his poems, like... I don't know if you ever read uh, Cruel Shoes by Steve Martin. Mm, his no. po- his His first book of poetry. He's done another one since. It wasn't quite as good. Uh, all right, here's another one. We stopped at perfect days. We stopped at perfect days and got out of the car. The wind glanced at her hair. It was as simple as that. I turned to say something. That's the end of the poem. Okay, so his deal, and I <clears throat> I actually write a lot of poems like this. So his deal is basically these little snapshots, these little sort of colorful yeah. snapshots of feeling and emotion and, and ordinariness that kind of the shortness of them almost right. make, it, make them more powerful. I do like that, but they got to be really good yeah. to land that. But and I'll tell you this too. I'd rather read that than the, than the opposite of that, which is the great big long boring poem guy. Those are hard to oh. land too. Oh, for sure. Bukowski had a way of doing it, but it's because his long poems were basically like short stories. That's the only way he really landed those long ones. Well, like with everything, like with all art, there's there's a very small sliver of of it that you're gonna like. That's gonna be your taste. Poetry is definitely that way. Like uh, there's. 
of of the millions and millions of of poets and poems and all that. I mean, I like point zero 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 one percent of it all. Right. So. Well, I was thinking about that the other night. Like, if you consider the the sheer volume of creative output in the world, almost all of it's bad. Oh yeah. It's mostly all shitty. Right, which is weird to think about when you consider how good so much stuff is. But just in comparison, you know, I could name 50 bands right now that are amazing. But think of <laughs> think of the 50 bands out of the, I don't know, 100,000 that have existed. 50 is not a lot. The thing that I find strange as well is how the stuff that's the most popular, it's not, it's not that it's bad. But it's not necessarily the very best. Like the stuff that I think is the very best is not necessarily that popular. So, and poetry is definitely that way, where the people that are the most popular poets alive right now, uh, they're mostly like Twitter and Instagram poets who have, you know, built up these big fan bases. And their poetry is ridiculously shitty. Yeah. But they're, you know, they're the only ones that are selling poetry. They're the ones that are getting publishing deals and putting out poetry. But the the people that are the best at it, they all work as professors, uh, you know, at university and stuff because they can't make a living as a poet. They're teaching like literary criticism and shit. Right. What do you think makes a poem good? What do, what do you like in a poem? I mean, I have to understand it first and foremost. So yeah. like, I have to know what's going on first and then... You know, it just has to say something in a prof- in a, just a way that I'd never heard something. You know, ex- uh, like Mark Strand's my favorite of all the poets, just because he's able to put stuff into words that uh, I don't know. I, I but like all art, it's hard to it's hard to talk about it. You like you just have to read it and then or listen to it. it's like music. You can't explain music. You have to listen to it and then you either like it or you don't like it. You know? Yeah. I've been just really trusting my intuition. So there's there's like, you can't help what food you do and don't like. You can keep trying it and maybe your taste can evolve a little bit and you can mellow out on certain things that you didn't like or maybe things you used to think were great or too sweet or something. But for the most part, your kind of first reaction to something is usually pretty accurate in terms of the intuition of it. But then there's some stuff like poetry or music that if you keep kind of dipping in, your life circumstances change, and then it begins to reveal itself to you. It's a very mysterious thing. It's it, it is hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about why you do and don't like things. All right, let me let me read let me read a poem by Mark Strand. This is called "Keeping Things Whole." Now, the thing you have to understand about Mark Strand is he's one of the smartest guys ever. Like when he his 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 vocabulary is is beyond. Uh, anything like when he talks about when he writes criticisms or uh, writes essays about poetry the the language that he uses is like next level but when he writes poems he keeps the language very simple and it's it's just the way he decided he was going to write poems let me just read it keeping things whole in a field i am the absence of field this is always the case wherever i am i am what is missing when i walk i part the air and always the air moves in to fill the spaces where my body's been. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole. How fucking good is that? It's pretty good. It really God is pretty damn! Good. That motherfucker, dude, he's so fucking good. Well, my I've never heard that before. So my, my feeling hearing that was like, oh, I can just see what he's saying. I can see how when you walk, I mean, air is invisible, but I, I could see the particles of air moving for you and then they close in around you and you were just there and then you're not there. 
That was pretty powerful for being so short. Well, he's he's uh, he's he's my favorite of all time. He was a poet. He was the poet laureate f- uh, for the United States in the like ninety two to ninety three. That's not saying. I mean, that's saying obviously that he rose to the top of the heap. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty high that, honor. Yeah, but there there are people all the time that are poet laureate who aren't great, right? You know, that are kind of boring. It's like people who win Grammys. I mean, sometimes people win a Grammy and you're like, well you know well deserved billy eilish winning a bunch of grammys this year was like well she's great but then uh, much of the other times grammy doesn't mean shit just it's it means that whoever won it was some sort of played the political game oscars are like that too you know sometimes it's an indication of it's well deserved sometimes it's just a bunch of bureaucracy for sure definitely you're not going to become the poet laureate of the united states if you're not playing the game uh which is you have to be a tenured professor uh to to get published and you have to be published a lot and you have to be published by certain but see um, isn't that nuts because i'm thinking about like the the poets that i know that i've read and i i do not pretend to be a big poetry guy you know way more about this than me so my taste in poetry is not going to surprise many people but my favorite poet is charles bukowski or i like some of the beats i like alan ginsberg i like ezra pound from the 20s these are people who weren't professor but charles bukowski was not a fucking professor right easily one of the greatest po- American poets of all time. And he right. here's what Book always did is like, I remember when I first started reading him around 2009, it was like being hit by lightning because I've just never seen anyone write that way. And almost every other line was this shocking left turn. I don't know. It's hard to explain reading him for the first time. I love Bukowski. And, and, and to prove my point, Bukowski uh, wasn't uh, successful as a poet until real late until in later. his life. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the only reason he was is because he was putting out his like he was putting out these little zines. He was putting out these little poetry zines, and this one guy became a huge fan and just sold everything he had and started his own publishing company just to publish Bukowski poems. Right. And because he did that, uh, he started gaining some. Uh, notoriety, and then of course, you know, it's it's wonderful, and and people uh, gravitated to it, and then he became hugely successful and wrote some screenplays and wrote some novels that got turned into into movies and stuff. So obviously, he became very famous, but uh, again, did not take the normal route. And that if that guy wouldn't have done what he did, who knows uh, if anybody would still know who Pukowski was? I mean, he may have co- he might have come and gone you know, and be lost to time. But even being as popular as he was and is, he's still not really main, like, I guess Allen Ginsberg would be someone you would think of as like, pop, that's that's an icon of poetry. Even people who haven't read his work know Allen Ginsberg. They know, they know that he wrote something called Howl and it was really important. I don't think Bukowski's like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a huge Pukowski fan, so it's hard for me to separate m- what I know from what everybody else knows. So check this email. This is from Doug McLeod, who's been a, a fan of the show since the beginning. He says, Hi, guys. Wonder what you think about the Rolling Stones. I imagine Bobo would think them lame for the lack of any relevant new music for decades, but then you recently implied it's okay to give uh, the people what they want hits. Uh, I'm really curious to hear what you both think of the spectacular run or the particular run of albums, Beggar's Bakelant, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile. Not too shabby, huh? And what you think overall of the Stones in general. Thank you for the entertaining podcast and, of course, all the great tunes, Clint included. Cheers. Yeah, what's your... I don't, I don't even think I've ever talked to you about the Rolling Stones. Well, here's the deal with the Rolling Stones. I love the Rolling Stones. I love all of their music. 
up until a certain point. And the the problem that I have with the Stones is the Stones, when they were younger, were one of the greatest bands of all time. You can't fuck with the songs that they wrote. Now, the problem with those guys is as they got older, they refused to grow up. Yeah. They refused to mature as songwriters. Now, had they done that in the way that I don't even know who I can compare it to. I guess... Like Paul McCartney. No, not really. Paul McCartney didn't necessarily do it. Uh, Maybe Paul Simon, but uh, I feel like Paul Simon was always kind of mature in his songwriting, but maybe not. I mean, he wrote like Cecilia and stuff like that. Well, I'm just saying, to your point, the Stones were always very sexy. That was kind of their big deal. It was a sexy, dangerous rock and roll, right? right? Works great in your 20s and 30s. Then after that, what usually happens to people is they become family they they've settled down and then you that's what becomes your paradigm that you write from and then you write the that's what paul simon did and i think i think paul mccartney went from making kind of like very artsy dangerous cutting edge obviously the beatles were they were the first to do so many things and then when you move into his family period in late 70s and wings through the 80s his records became more about those things those themes it wasn't just boogie woogie rock and roll beatles eve flower power shit Whereas the Stones, I feel like, did you, I think you're exactly right about that. They just t- kept trying to do the sexy, even Mick Jagger to this day, dude. How old is he now? He still, when he gets on stage, jumps around and gyrates like he's a kid. And he's like, yeah. he's almost 80. I'm with you. It doesn't really work, right? Part of me doesn't give a shit anymore. Like, I cared for a while. I cared like 20 years ago. I kind of cared. I was like, come on, you guys, grow up. But now I'm like, yeah. they're so fucking old. And <laughs> they are just kind of giving people what they want. And it, and most of the people that go see them are old anyway. So who gives a shit? I really don't. I There's so much other shit that I care about that I don't care what those guys are doing. Yeah, uh, I do know that they made some of the greatest rock songs of all time and some good and some good ballads too man wild horses and i mean yeah yeah no i'm when i say rock songs i'm not i'm not discluding their slow jams right right dude i saw them in 81 and the only song i wanted to hear was uh angie angie that's all i wanted to hear they didn't play it (laughs) but guess who opened up for them who jay giles band they had just put out that freeze frame record they were one of the best bands I have seen in my life. Dude, they were so incredible. Do you know anything about the Jay Giles band? A little bit, yeah. Not much, not much. So Jay Giles was the guitar player, but then they had this guy, Magic Dick, who was a... a hey, a, leave me out of it. Leave part of my anatomy out of it, bro. Who was this harmonica player who was amazing. Then they had Pete, Peter Wolf, who was the lead singer, who just like jumped up and down on uh, around on stage like he was like on a pogo stick. And then they had this piano player who would just get up and fucking open up the grand piano, play the inside of the grand piano with his fingers, and fucking stomp up and down on it. Dude, they were amazing. And they had all these great hits. So they were incredible. They blew everybody away. I saw them at this giant uh, soccer arena in Hanover. And then the middle act was this guy, Peter Moffai, who was like the German Chris Christofferson. And he comes out with an acoustic guitar, and he starts singing, whatever fucking stupid-ass, folky Christopher Chris Christopherson German shit that he was doing. And dude, 
20,000 people just started throwing bottles at the stage. Oh boy. And he had and he had to leave during his during his second song he just stopped and walked off stage and that was the end of his act. <laughs> the Germans don't fuck around, dude. Yeah. And I saw that I was like, well, just keep don't do that. And then of course the Stones came out and you know killed it. They rocked it. Yeah. That's what that's that's when he was wearing uh uh, Mick Jagger was wearing like uh, goddamn football pants. <laughs> football pants. Yeah, remember there was that whole time in the '80s where he was wearing football pants and jerseys. And What's shit. going through his mind with that shit? I don't. He's fucking English, man. He thought it was cool. Here's what he was doing: fucking all the ladies. Yeah. I mean, what? I'll never know, you know, because I just my life didn't <laughs> go down that path, but. Maybe you have a little more a little more to add to this. No, I got nothing to add, dude. I got semi-famous in Austin while I was in two long-term relationships. Now, in between my two long-term relationships, I had a couple years where I could date. But this is like during the time of AIDS, during the time of herpes. Like it just wasn't like the 70s and 80s, dude, before AIDS came along, people were just like DTF. And if you're in a band, dude, Stephen Bruton, who used to play in my band, who's now deceased, was the guitar player for Chris Christopherson. And he would tell me stories about how they would be on the road and they would go to these hotels and there would be these women just camped out in the hallway of the hotel outside of Chris Christopherson's room. And he would he would grab like three or four of these chicks, have sex with them kick him out and then grab three or four more chicks and just have sex with like 20 or 30 women a night. But it just seems gratuitous to me. I mean, I understand it all. I understand it all. Like, that sounds fun in a way. But also, I mean, what what's the end? Like, there's got to be a point, some sort of peak where that quit, that just numbs out or something. Dude, that numbs out. For sure that numbs out after about a couple years. Ah! Eventually, you're going to run out of semen. But maybe Chris Christopherson had some deep reservoir. I don't know. I'm okay with one partner for nothing more than 20 minutes. <laughs> and then then let's watch a movie or something. I don't know where you're at now, but this is definitely where I'm at. Once is definitely enough. <laughs> <laughs> Once in one evening? <laughs> Once a month? What? For sure, let's just start with once in an evening. Let's start with that and leave it at that. How about once every pandemic? <laughs> every, so we had the Spanish flu, huh? <laughs> <two years. laughs> Dude, I'd be I'd be fine with once in a pandemic. I'm not I'm not even at once in a pandemic. I wouldn't even be able to tell you what that's like because uh, I'm in the same boat as you, my friend. God damn it. Let's read one more email before we split. This is from Jay Middleton, who's also a patron of the show. He says, hey, Bob and Clint, just wanted to say I've really been digging the two episodes a week. Honestly, I'm so used to long podcasts from other shows that when I listen to yours, I get sad that it's only a half hour. The show's amazing. You dudes make me laugh my butt off, make me think, and keep me distracted in this craziness. Thank you so much for all that you do, Jay Middleton. Well, that's a nice email. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, thanks, Jay. That's nice. I do think us keeping it tight and right on the 30 minutes has been a good call. Oh, for sure. 
And that I, I give credit to you. I mean, that was your that was your idea. Well, I feel like an hour. Like I do listen to some people that do an hour, and I feel like an hour is. Here's the thing: I'll listen to an hour, but if I listen to th- thirty minutes, is like it's like portion control. Like you have, dude. I'm watching. I'm watching dudes outside of my yard. The dudes are just out of my yard doing doing the stuff. <laughs> doing they, what? They, well, they're they're do they belong there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're mowing my lawn. They're weed eating and stuff. But right, they're wearing face masks. Probably. No, I don't know. I don't think they are. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they. I don't know. They look like they could also be like you know SWAT guys. They're wearing like gear and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> riot gear? Uh, not riot gear. I don't know what they're wearing. Like vests or something. I don't know why. They're definitely not wearing masks. Here's what they're not doing, wearing masks. So we have this house a little... You've been to my house. So if you walk out of my where my studio is and you move left, a couple of houses down and across the street, there's... I mean, we sort of call it a crack house just for a placeholder, but here's the kind of house it is, okay? I'm going to give you a few details about the house and you're going to be able to understand immediately what's going on here. Old, 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 old lady who likely owns the house. And then what I'm guessing might be her kid or a couple of her kids who are in their 40s now. And I don't know, 17 of all of their druggy friends all live in this house. They have 100 cars in the front yard, all in the driveway. You're getting a picture of what this, what's going on here? Yeah, it's a drug house. Exactly. Well, so this morning, Isabel's like, hey, a bunch of cop cars are at the fucking crack house. And we look out there. And there's like people, these little druggies that come out like roaches. They're all like roaming up and down our street. There's three or four cop cars. There's one of their shitty cars in the middle of our street with all the tires flat. And there's like a dazed looking hippie guy smoking a cigarette, just walking up and down the street in a daze. And I'm looking over at my other neighbor, Jim, the kind of neighborhood nosy guy. His entire mailbox is completely destroyed, as if, I don't know, someone <laughs> hit it with a base- baseball bat, or they hit right. it with a car. So I got a car over here with all the tires flat. I got Jimbo over here with his mailbox fucked out. I got three or four cops. <laughs> I got a bunch of crackheads in a daze walking up and down my street. This is just this morning. All right, let me ask you how many people are wearing masks. Zero point zero percent. <laughs> And they're all talking, and who, God knows what happened. Like, I don't understand. I'm going to have to talk to the nosy neighbor later and get the, get the scoop. But none of them are standing six feet away. None of them are wearing masks. One of the guy, one of the hippie guys just chain-smoking cigarettes. I'm like, guys, there's a thing happening right now. God Dude, damn. they don't give a fuck. It's like, uh, social distancing or crack smoking? I'll take the crack. Thank you. This one super fucked out looking chick just standing in the middle of the street with like her head in her hands. I mean, it was just like Mad Max oh, out there for a minute today. Dude. And I still don't even know what happened. I mean, I'm going to figure that out later, but the dude's mailbox completely just destroyed. I'm like, did, but did they hit the... Ma- anyway. Dude, did you ever, did you ever like, did you ever like do drugs in your younger days? Yeah. Man, I used to, I mean, I was never a huge druggie, but I, you know, smoked a little pot or whatever. Sure. And, uh, but you would end up like in these situations where you're just hanging out around or with people drug like people. Yeah. And I was always like, how do people live like, like, how do they 
do this. Like, here's how here's how that would happen if you if you were someone like me and you. Here's how that would happen because I'm the same way. I always just sort of in a very social chill way dabbled in that. And then, but here's what here's when you brush up against that. You got to go to someone's weird house to like get a bag of weed, and then yeah. you see what those people like. And then it would be like some forty year old guy with like hanging out with an 18-year-old chick, and that's where you're buying the weed, and then you see what they live like. And I remember one time uh, picking up a bag of weed, and I just remember, like, while I was there, I looked on the wall of their kitchen, and there was, like, 500, like, little tiny roaches on <laughs> right. in the middle of the day, in the middle of the day on the wall. Right. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, the great irony is that probably just sort of innocently dabbling in that kind of thing might have and see, be, and because of the dabbling seeing that dissolution might have been a driving factor in keeping us from becoming like that no i'll tell you what for me first of all i just i was just never a big druggie now i like to drink don't get me wrong i love the feeling of alcohol in my body but the drug stuff I, it would just it wasn't my thing and the other thing too was it, it was illegal so i was never going to have any like even like if when I had my like little eighth ounce or quarter ounce or whatever it is of weed, like I was like I'm gonna get busted. Like I would never have anything like more than you know what I mean. I just wouldn't like people would have like I'd go to somebody's house and have like a pound of marijuana or something. I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. And I would just leave. I'd be like, I gotta get the fuck out of here because I just I couldn't. I I was not going to jail for anything. Right. Well, you, well, we've established this in previous episodes. We don't want to go to jail. I wouldn't want to have to cut myself and then put my own poop in my cut, <laughs> according oh, to Clint Wells. Only people in the Secret Weekly have heard that detail. Oh, sorry. All right. Well, on that note, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. You want to send us off, Bob? Yeah. Uh, check out Clint's podcast, Men Up Your Podcast. It's a wonderful uh, podcast. If you want more Clint, and uh, you can check out my podcast, uh, The Song Club. Uh, also. Rate and review us on iTunes. You're probably listening right now on iTunes podcast. If you are, it's a real easy thing to do. It helps us out a great deal. Also, go to patreon.com backslash. What is it? I okay, just the letters. I I okay. Oh, by the way, I found out why we can't be uh, searched for in uh, Patreon. Okay. Because we have adult content, so we have to change it to say, no, it's not adult content. Because a lot of people on Patreon do a little thing called pornography, which we don't do. Oh. And so we need, to, we need to change that. Once we change it, then you'll be able to actually search for it. Um, we, we thought, because we occasionally use the F word or the P word or the C word or the... I don't know what other words we use, but um, because of that, we thought it was adult. But what what they're saying uh, on Patreon, adult content means porno, porno, griffey. So, anyways, hopefully, we're gonna get that changed, and uh, we'll figure that out. In the meantime, we'll see you next time. Peace, peace. peace.